Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of transplant found under the renal section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 55-year-old woman presents with nausea and yellowing of the skin to her primary care physician. Medical history is significant for a liver transplantation approximately one and a half weeks prior to presentation. On physical exam, there is scleral icterus and myelodicytes. A liver biopsy shows lymphocytic infiltrates in the interstitium. This is a case of acute rejection. Let's continue with an introduction to transplant. Transplantation is a process by which cells, tissues, or organs, also referred to as grafts, from a donor are transplanted into a host, also referred to as a recipient. The immune system's ability to recognize and respond to foreign antigens brings challenges to transplantation. Remember that all transplant patients are on immunosuppressive agents, which increases their risk of infection. And there are several types of grafts. An autograft is tissue that is moved from one location to another in the same person. For example, a skin graft and using the saphenous vein to replace a coronary artery are examples of autograft. Also remember that the graft will not be considered foreign and will not require lifelong immunosuppression. A syngenic graft, or isograft, is tissue that is transplanted from one genetically identical donor to the host. An example of this is transplantation between monozygotic twins. An allograft is tissue that is transplanted from one genetically different donor of the same species to the host. An example of this is a kidney transplant. A xenograft is tissue that is transplanted from a donor of a different species to the host. An example of this is a porcine heart valve. Now let's discuss the different types of transplant rejection. In hyperacute rejection, the pathogenesis involves a type 2 hypersensitivity reaction where pre-existing recipient antibodies attack the donor antigen which results in complement activation, endothelial damage, inflammation, and thrombosis. The timing of this is from minutes to hours, and specific findings include capillary thrombosis which prevents graft vascularization. In acute rejection, The pathogenesis involves cellular rejection or humoral rejection. In cellular rejection, there is a type 4 hypersensitivity reaction where recipient CD8-positive T-cells react to donor antigens after activation by antigen-presenting cells. In humoral rejection, this is just like in a hyperacute rejection, however, the antibodies are formed after the transplantation occurs. The timing of this is from weeks to months and specific findings include graft vessel vasculitis with lymphocytic infiltrates. The treatment of acute rejection in renal patients is to continue calcineurin inhibitors such as tacrolimus and cyclosporine and to add IV steroids. In chronic rejection, the pathogenesis involves a type 2 and type 4 hypersensitivity reaction secondary to CD4-positive T-cells responding to the host's antigen-presenting cells. The timing of this is months to years. Specific findings include cytokine secretion after T-cell activation, which leads to smooth muscle proliferation, interstitial fibrosis, and parenchymal atrophy. And the last kind of rejection we'll discuss is graft-versus-host disease. The pathogenesis involves a type 4 hypersensitivity reaction secondary to the donor's T-cells attacking the recipient's cells, which leads to organ dysfunction. The timing of this may be variable, but specific findings can include a maculopapular rash, jaundice, diarrhea, and hepatosplenomegaly. And lastly, let's discuss tissue compatibility testing. 
the kind of testing that occurs is ABO blood typing as well as tissue typing. Tissue typing is used to see if HLA antigens match and the subtypes include HLA-A, HLA-B, and HLA-DR. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to transplant, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 57-year-old woman comes to the clinic complaining of decreased urine output. She reports that over the past two weeks, she has been urinating less and less every day. She denies changes in her diet or fluid intake. The patient has a history of lupus nephritis, which has resulted in end-stage renal disease. She underwent a renal transplant two months ago. Since then, she has been on mycophenolate and cyclosporine, which she takes as prescribed. The patient's temperature is 99 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 172 over 102. Pulse is 88 beats per minute, and respirations are 17 breaths per minute, with an oxygen saturation of 97% on room air. Labs show an elevation in serum creatinine and blood urea nitrogen. On physical exam, she has 2-plus pitting edema of the bilateral lower extremities. Lungs are clear to auscultation. Urinalysis shows elevated protein. A post-void bladder scan is normal. A renal biopsy is obtained, which shows lymphocyte infiltration and intimal swelling. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the answer choices are, choice one, add ceftriaxone. Choice two, add diltiazem. Choice three, discontinue cyclosporine. Choice four, nephrectomy. Or choice five, start intravenous steroids. The best answer to this question is, choice five, start intravenous steroids. This patient with a history of kidney transplant two months ago is presenting with oliguria, hypertension, peripheral edema, and a biopsy revealing lymphocytic infiltration, which is consistent with graft failure due to acute rejection. Intravenous steroids should be administered to arrest any acute immune reaction against the renal graft. Acute transplant rejection can occur when recipient CD8-positive T-cells react against donor antigens or when antibodies are formed status post-transplant. This usually presents within weeks to months after transplant. For kidney transplants, patients may present with oliguria, hypertension, increased creatinine and BUN, and signs of volume overload. A renal biopsy will show lymphocyte infiltration and vascular involvement with intimal swelling. The next best step in management is to continue calcineurin inhibitors such as chacrolimus and cyclosporine and to add systemic steroids initially intravenously. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Adding ceftriaxone would be appropriate if there was suspicion for a urinary tract infection or pyelonephritis. The patient is afebrile and the urinalysis did not reveal signs of bacterial infection. Choice 2. Adding diltiazem may be beneficial to correct the patient's hypertension. However, this would not address the patient's acute rejection. Additionally, diltiazem can lower the metabolism of cyclosporine. Choice 3. Discontinuing cyclosporine would not be appropriate for acute rejection. If signs of nephrotoxicity such as tubular dysfunction or thrombotic microangiography are seen, cyclosporine could be discontinued. In this case, acute rejection is more likely as evidenced by the patient's renal biopsy. Choice 4. Nephrectomy would not be the initial best step in management. Measures to try to reverse the rejection should be initiated first. 
discontinuation of treatment for acute rejection, and potential nephrectomy could be considered if the biopsy had revealed no evidence of an acute reversible process, such as extensive fibrosis. Finally, a bullet summary. Acute renal transplant rejection should be treated by continuing calcineurin inhibitors and adding IV steroids. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 37-year-old woman with a history of a kidney transplant presents with a cough, fever, and fatigue. Her symptoms started one week ago and have been steadily worsening. She has a history of IV drug use and worked in the past as a commercial sex worker in her 20s. She recently traveled to Malaysia one month ago. Her temperature is 101 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 114 over 64. Pulse is 110 beats per minute. Respirations are 19 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 93% on room air. Her physical exam is notable for bilateral coarse breath sounds. Laboratory values are ordered and demonstrate a sodium of 140, chloride of 102, potassium of 4.7, bicarbonate of 22, BUN of 30, glucose of 96, creatinine of 1.5 with the baseline of 1.4, and a calcium of 9.1. A chest radiograph is obtained and demonstrates interstitial infiltrates. A CT scan of the chest is obtained and demonstrates ground glass opacities. Which of the following is the most likely predisposing risk factor for this patient's presentation? And the answer choices are Choice 1. HIV Choice 2. IV drug use Choice 3. Medication Choice 4. Transplant rejection or Choice 5. Tuberculosis The best answer to this question is Choice 3. Medication this patient has a history of a kidney transplant, thus she must be on immunosuppressive medications to not reject the transplant, and is presenting with imaging findings of interstitial infiltrates and ground glass opacities, which is concerning for pneumocystis gyrovechi pneumonia, or PJP. This infection is likely secondary to the immunosuppressive drugs she is on for her kidney transplant. Immunosuppressive drugs are essential for many clinical conditions, but are known to have many important side effects. Immunosuppressive medications can include cyclosporine, tacrolimus, azathioprine, and mycophenolate, among many others. Patients with transplanted organs must be on immunosuppressive drugs in order to not reject the transplanted organ. For this reason, any patient with a transplant is at high risk for infection, including opportunistic infections that may only be seen in conditions like HIV. For this reason, the differential must be expanded when considering the infectious etiologies of a patient presenting with a transplanted organ. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. HIV with the CD4 count of less than 200 is the most common predisposing condition for PJP. However, this patient has no known history of HIV other than her risk factors including IV drug use and work as a commercial sex worker but certainly must be on immunosuppressive agents given her kidney transplant and normal kidney function, meaning she is not rejecting her kidney. Choice 2. IV drug use may predispose patients to endocarditis, which presents with a fever and a murmur, usually of the tricuspid valve. Septic emboli may be formed and travel to the lungs, leading to a pneumonia. However, radiography would demonstrate these focal infectious collections rather than diffuse interstitial infiltrates. Choice 4. Transplant rejection is unlikely given this patient's creatinine, which is near her baseline. Choice 5. 
Tuberculosis would present with fever, night sweats, weight loss, and chills in addition to a cough and lung infiltrates with cavitary lesions on radiography. Finally, a bullet summary. Transplant patients are typically on immunosuppressive drugs which predispose them to opportunistic infections. That's all for this review about transplant. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.